Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. It's just a small town girl living in a lonely world. You set the you set the key. She's took the midnight train going anywhere. Okay. Hello, everybody. How are you doing today? You're listening slash watching the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. And Your falsetto is better than mine. Yeah, you know, I've been practicing it uh, for my whole life. <laughs> uh, today, we're going to have a very fun and simple episode, but it's one of my favorite. It's mailbag time, and we have a lot of hot topics to cover today. Yeah, uh, we got questions like, is there a right way to concede? How do you feel about the hybrid mana rule in Commander? How do you beat Super Friends decks? We're going to answer all those questions and many more, but first... A big shout out to our sponsor, cardkingdom.com slash command zone. If you use that affiliate link when you buy your magic cards, singles, sealed products, anything at all, you're really supporting this show, our podcast, and game nights and all of our content, and we super appreciate it. Second sponsor for the show, Ultra Pro, of course. Now, Ultra Pro, we've been working with them for quite a while. All of your local game stores will have Ultra Pro products. They'll probably have the 100 count sleeves in stock as well for the Eclipse sleeves. So go check that out and buy some and sleeve up your next deck. Yeah, very excited about that. And the final way to support the show is directly at patreon.com slash command zone. In fact, we call out one lucky patron every single episode. And this episode, it's dedicated to Teddy Ho. Teddy. You rock. Hi-ho. You know, if you're a patron and you're at a qualifying amount, you also will be soon receiving a free copy of our new playmat. Yes. If you haven't heard about this, now, if you're not a patron, you can also get a hold of it. In fact, you have to go to the Kickstarter right now to order our last stand playmat. You know you want this thing. It's beautiful. If you're watching the YouTube video, you're looking at it right now. Yeah, it's only available for two more weeks, and we're not kidding around. That's how the Kickstarter works. It's not a pre-order for a soon-to-be-sold product. This is the only chance, and you can get this playmat, and it's dri- drawn by the amazing Titus Lyncher. Great artwork. It's the first official Game Nights playmat, and then again, this is the last time you'll ever be able to purchase it, so head on over to that Kickstarter. It is in the show notes below, and of course, we've been tweeting about it. You'll see it all over the internet, but you only have a limited time to get it. Yeah, once that Kickstarter runs out, that's it. We are never printing it again, so if you want that, head on over to that Kickstarter. Okay, let's start with the questions. Oh, I wanted to say, 
I'm sure you can't tell, uh, watchers, listeners out there, but we're on our brand new set. That's right. We actually just moved to a new location out of our old offices uh, because things were needing to be relocated. Very exciting. This is actually a little more convenient, I think, for everyone as well as... Uh, we'll it's be ours. Able- it's ours, yeah. We're not we, sharing it. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> Light it on fire. <laughs> yep. After moving all that stuff, why not? Yeah, Just tear it all down. <laughs> Never mind. I, I take it back. I take it back. Yeah. So uh, you can't tell any difference, but we did move the entire set to a new location, got it rebuilt. Big shout out to Bonnie and all the uh, set designers and production crew that pulled that off. Thank you, guys. All right. On to the listener questions. I just want to say really quickly, these are not exact quotes. Some of the questions have been edited for length and or clarity. Okay. Question number one. This is from Keegan. People in my meta like to steal cards that are mine in game, not steal for real. <laughs> but they uh, often take yeah. But they often take my expensive cards, of course, because they're the best cards. And I'm forced to then watch my card get bent or beat up by careless players. Oh, I don't want to be rude, but how do I let people use their control magic effects on my expensive cards without the risk of them being damaged? Well, there is always going to be a risk, no matter what. Now, I think you just want to mitigate that risk because I can't tell you how many games of Limited I've played when it's like a pre-release where it's like, hold on, can I read that card? And I'm not stealing the card, but I'm definitely taking it, picking it up and looking at it and then either putting it back down or giving it to them. I think you just need to be just be very clear. It's like, hey, are you control magicing this? Like, hey, look, don't bend the card, please. And if they do, you got to just be like, hey, stop. What you just did there, you bent it. Can you not? And I think it's pretty understandable. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, you know, I've noticed myself um, I sort of will tap the card with the back of my finger when mm-hmm. I'm like triggers, like this triggers, this triggers, triggers. And I've looked at my cards later and I'm actually hitting it hard enough to like leave an indented mark on some of the Jeez. cards. So I have to stop myself from doing that. That's something that somebody else could do. Like if I stole someone's card and did that, I would feel horrible. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of like a second nature. Also, a lot of people, us included, use like fancy dice. Mm-hmm. Those dice can oh, be yes. like super heavy and pointy. Yeah, I've definitely dented. I've looked at the foil later and like that is exactly where the Planeswalker dice sat. Yeah. So you got to be careful, and I can understand this. Um, Keegan, for a really expensive card, if you're worried about it, you know, they have they have those cards that are just blank cards. Mm-hmm. I could even see just carrying a couple of those and being like, right, Gaia's Cradle on it, hand him that. Yeah. Put or yours putting off to the it side. in a hard shell maybe before they steal it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't, like if somebody did that, let's say I stole like their their uh, masterpiece soul ring, right? I, I, mm. I deck fade in it and it's mine. And somebody said, listen, I'm not trying to be rude or anything but I'm just going to write that on this card and, and we'll put my card off yeah. to the side and use this. I'd be like, yeah, totally understandable, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to ruin the game as long as everyone at the table understands what's happening. And everyone, of course, has spent money on their cards for the most part. They all understand. I think this definitely could be a new player thing where they're just like, I'm going to shuffle this. I hate when I give it to someone in my deck and they don't shuffle it right or the yeah. Kessler, as we like to call it, where cards are upside down, sleeves are getting ripped and they just pummel it to death. Um, so I've even offered to be like, hey, look, um, I'll shuffle your deck for you to speed things up or like I'll do this so that you know we don't have to, we all, I don't have to worry about you messing up my cards. In competitive play, obviously, it's a little different, but... Yeah, and then we can take this time also to give a quick PSA to everybody out there. You know, be re- really respectful when you do steal other people's cards in game. Just be aware that like that's not your property. And even if you don't care if you bend your own cards or whatever, yeah. when you have somebody else's, you should treat that as if they very much care, um, even if they don't. So just be respectful of other people's stuff uh, in those situations. And and you know, I think everybody can help each other out. But again, Keegan, if you're really worried, and and it makes sense if you have super expensive cards. Yeah. You know, if you're playing with that uh, tabernacle at Pendrel Vale or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If somebody, like, if I went to Control Magic that and somebody was like, listen. Um, control Magic the land. Yeah. yeah we know. Okay. We know. If I we went know. to, whatever. If I went to steal it with some other effect, like, um, 
take a legendary permanent Galena effect. or something. Yeah, Galena. There um, you go. Is Tabernacle legendary? I don't know if it is. I think it is. See, I don't own one. There's so only I one. Know. Yeah, Craig that, will have to tell me because he. But is, his is in Italian, so yeah, I mean, you have to really look carefully. Legendaria. Legendaria. Yeah, that's exactly how you say it in Italian. Anyway, if I went to do that, steal Craig's, and he was like. Listen, it's a two thousand dollar card. I'm just gonna write it on this card. You can proxy it with this. Yeah. You know? Or I'd even be, just be I'd like be, anything. Like yeah. here's another card and we're just gonna put a land in its spot, you know, like but it's clearly the different sleeve and everything. Yeah, I would be like totally fine man another thing too is I, I i do this a lot when i put a card down i'll put the whole card down and then the corner of it i'll flick onto the table that's like the flicking it's satisfying but that actually is causing some structural damage to the card so yeah. there are a lot of things i think players do and don't realize may eventually accrue damage on the card so be careful and okay. that damage does not disappear as turns and phases ends. yeah good luck keegan don't feel bashful about it it is your property okay question number two I heard you guys mention during one of your shows about needing to wipe off sleeves no matter the brand. Does that prevent them from getting sticky? Do you use regular H2O or alcohol swabs or something else from Joe? And you're a patron as well, Joe, so thank you for your question. Yeah, we've had some people mention that Eclipse sleeves tend to get sticky, and really any sleeve after a while will... Accrue get, dirt. Yeah, so it starts to get grime or dust uh, from the table, from the playmat, from your hands. Man. Yeah. The reason that I use a play mat is because when you play on the table, and you'll notice this, the sleeves will, it'll sort of be like a weird, like, around the edges, like a darker, like, almost looks like someone smudged it with a marker yeah. or something. And almost always, for me to clean it off, I just sit there with my finger and I do this and it's off. Uh, and I can roll it off pretty easily. But otherwise, I would recommend um, either just being very careful with a wet wipe or a, like a damp like cloth, and you can do it really easily, make sure the card's dry, or even just take the cards out and glue it afterwards. Yeah, I've done it with like a very slightly damp paper towel. Not yeah. a wet paper towel, but a paper towel that's got like two drops of water on it. Yeah. And just quick wiping on the front and back will actually make a difference. And you'll be like, oh, they shuffle great. Be careful, though. You actually want them to dry before you do it. So yes. if you wipe them off and then immediately start shuffling, the grime's <laughs> actually more likely to stick to it because they're wet now. Yeah. So just wait a little bit and then do it. I would also say you can avoid this, right? I've seen a lot of people be like, my sleeves get so dirty, yada, yada. I was like, I've played with sometimes, i play with the same sleeves at pre-releases for six in a row. And by the end, I see a little bit of grime on them. And I'm shuffling these a ton over the course of all of those games. So, uh, you know, I think if you just wash your hands before you play, make sure your playmat's clean, make sure you're not just throwing cards around everywhere, not on the dirty surface. And you'll find that your cards will be cleaner in general. All right, question number three. Is there a chance to eventually see an Atali deck in action on game nights? <laughs> I think Jimmy would be excited to ride the giant Spinosaurus to victory. I think any of us would be excited. This is from uh, Eduardo, who's a patron. And I should say that the cleaning your sleeves uh, question was from Joe, who's also a patron. Thank you, so, patrons. So, Jimmy, questions. any chance playing Atali deck on game nights? I, I figured we could use this as a jumping or springboard to talk about how uh -huh. we do game nights and how the decks get chosen. That's true. Because so, it's harder to answer than you might think, Eduardo. Yeah, for sure. Now, I probably not. I'll just say that much. Atali may appear in decks as it has now. It was in my... I got to trigger it once. Yeah, it was in my Joda deck as well. I would love to have used it. Um, the reason is, is one, I've already played two mono red decks and I currently have no interest in playing more at this point, I think. Maybe. Who knows? Wow. You never know. Wow. Mono Red's just tough in Commander, man. Jimmy the Red, man. We've, I, we've turned him. I played Kamena, and it was green-blue <laughs> once, and I was like, what have I been missing out on? <laughs> this is absurd. The value. Even the artifacts somehow have more value. Um, so the way that... Yeah, you want to talk about how we choose extra game nights? Yeah, so a lot of game nights will have a theme. It just... It's too open-ended to just be like, hey, anybody bring any deck. That... Yeah. That is tough right because you're likely to have one deck that's just way more powerful than the rest or 
Also, the show has always been crafted. Like, the very first episode was, like, the out Commander the 2016 decks. And so it was always, like, trying to keep up with the new stuff because people haven't seen that stuff in action. So mm-hmm. that's, like, if it was me... I'm way more likely to want to watch something that's showing the new stuff so I can get some kind of a gauge of, oh, I haven't seen that in action because it's new, so I'd like to see what that looks like and how that plays. Um, So a lot of times we're playing with the newer things or some kind of theme, uh, which means that we're kind of, you know, we'll be like, I don't know, um, you know, Commander 2018's coming up, M19's Mm. coming up. We're going to be focused around those. But that doesn't mean there might not be an episode in there where we kind of go, okay, everybody you can play a a deck that's you know from the past or whatever that you made and i'll say in those situations we do sort of check power level to make sure like no one's bringing like a prosh food train food chain deck Mm -hmm. while everybody else is playing you know i'm playing my tim deck and you're playing you know some something else that's more janky yeah. yeah so we do have to try and keep it so that everyone has a chance to win in the game so that it's not like going in one deck's just way over overpowered or over favored i guess and we know that a lot of people that's what they want to see is like please bring your most powerful decks and play them at the table and we could of course do that obviously we talk about these decks all the time on the show but also from a marketing and a business perspective it helps us out in the same way that when a new set comes out people do set reviews of the set prof review a new product when it comes out it helps us from a marketing sense in that we're trying to grow this channel and reach as many people as possible to do the thing that's going to open that door to as many people as possible now i know a lot of you out there might be like but i want to see this so please give it to me and we hear you but we may not go down that path because this is how we're designed to run the business. Well, people that <laughs> that are saying that, let me just say, we're going to throw you bones when we can, and the very next episode of Game Night should be mm-hmm. a bone thrown in that direction, I'll just say. There, this is a chance we had. We had a window, um, and we actually shot this episode months ago with the Professor and Wedge, mm-hmm. and this is our own decks being played against each other. It's not built around any specific theme. so Pretty fun game, too. Yeah, pretty fun. And so you'll see... Uh, you'll maybe understand a little bit how our production schedule works in that we literally shot that thing back in what October or November yeah and it's just coming out now because that's the only window we had where we didn't have something else going on there wasn't a new product there wasn't you know something else we wanted to showcase and we're like oh it can go yeah. here so and of course you know Ultra Pro is a sponsor Card Games is a sponsor Wizard of the Coast is a sponsor Ultra Pro comes out with new products with new sets all of these things all of these things factor into the decisions that we make obviously but ultimately like we're still making the show for you and we're doing it to be as mass marketed as possible because we want more people to watch magic if we just did really niche like very powerful decks sure there'd be a lot of people that would enjoy it but you know i think the view counts often speak for themselves and we've seen that doing new stuff is both beneficial for us as a show and business people like look i'm this is a business sorry at the end of the day uh, if we don't make it a business, we Josh wouldn't be able to quit his job to do this. Yada yada. There'd be no game nights. There'd be no game nights. Well said. All right. Question number four. There is a player in our playgroup who likes to concede whenever anyone or someone steals his stuff or takes over his turn with a mind slaver or something like that. Are you being more respectful to the new set by not throwing the paper? I threw it just softly. Okay. Because you were speaking while I did it. Oh, very nice. Thank you. Yeah. He does this. Uh, <laughs> so this, pre- this player concedes when someone takes over his turn with a mind slaver, steals something or something like that. He does this to screw over the player using the effect. And as a result, people have stopped targeting him with that kind of stuff, which leaves me with a bad taste in my mouth. Am I wrong? Is using conceding as a strategy just smart gamesmanship or is it actually super scummy from Trevor? Super scummy. Pretty scummy. Yeah. It's not good gamesmanship. It's effective in a way, but it's like a almost like a terror, act of terror. 
To me, it's using the wrong mechanisms in the game, right? We always say keep things in game. Right. Conceding is kind of outside the game. And it's using losing to win is a weird thing. And well, I not know- even win. You're using it to mess up the dynamics of the game because blah, 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 if you're in an alliance with someone, what if you're making deals, like it, it messes up with so much stuff. I mean, I see, I'm an advocate of like, I'm getting attacked and you know, you're going to kill me and I have a lightning bolt in my hand and it's not mm-hmm. going to change the outcome. I'm still going to die, but at, I'm still going to lightning bolt one of your things so mm-hmm. that as I go, I'm doing as much damage in game two as possible. I'm an advocate of that because it's using the cards, using the game in the right way. Right. And so the next game, when you go, Oh man, I could maybe get rid of Josh, but what if he has that lightning bolt and I right. don't want to lose a creature? Maybe you think about it. But those are game mechanisms. To me, saying like, you're like, I mind slaver you, you know, and you're knowing they're going to take over your turn and try and kill other players maybe and you at the same time. And you're like, I can see it in response. That's that's lame because you're using an outside the game mechanism, which is quitting the game, like yeah. to stop an effect. Like, it's a very salty thing to do too. Be yeah. like, I don't want to play anymore and neither will you get to do the thing that you literally played a card, paid mana into and wanted to do for an effect. So you're like screwing over one person out of resentment, out of bitterness, out of whatever it is. Think about why players concede in 1v1. It's not because they're angry or bitter. In competitive play, they concede either because they want more clock for the next ground that they're playing or they don't concede because they want to see more of their opponent's deck. Like I've seen people play through like a like a lock deck or like a you know ensnaring bridge just to see a few more turns, see a few more turns, and maybe play to that out. And that's what a competitive person does. A competitive person and person that knows how the game doesn't concede for a tactical advantage because in one v one that doesn't exist. And in the multiplayer game, it's just kind of not cool, bro. To me, the conceding like that for strategic advantage is sort of akin to like making a real world threat or a real world promise. Yeah, it's bringing other things into the game. Like I want it to be like the people in the cards, but within the world of the game. Um, this has actually come up a little bit in our play group where I started just at the start of games, just being like, okay, so I just want an agreement at the start. Sorcery speed only concessions. Oh, okay. Everybody just agree at the start. And I think that actually solves it. So you can concede at any time that you could cast a sorcery. Otherwise, concessions are, are not allowed. So if you're Mind Slaver, then you actually can't because the other yeah. person has control of your chain. Yeah. Funny. And if they go to control magic, your thing, you can't concede at that point. But if it got back to your turn, fine. What if you have Vidalcanori? But it doesn't matter. You can't cast a sorcery. Vidalcanori doesn't give you a change to... It says you can uh, cast your cards at flash speed or whatever. It doesn't say you can concede. No. What if I have a card that says concede the game? Any, If you had a card that said <laughs> any, any action you could take uh, at sorcery speed, you can now take at flash speed, then I would maybe grant it okay, to you. Okay, cool, cool. But I consider it an action, not not playing a spell. You know, if you want to concede, you know what you should do. You should play any of the cards that say take an extra turn, you would lose the game after this turn, or... Um, I mean, you'd have to have those cards. I know, but that's what I'm saying. That'd be a, that'd be a more... I, I would allow that. Be like, I mean, oh, cool. Concede out of just your, your turn literally killing you. I'm something. totally fine with people conceding, like looking at the table, going, yeah, I'm dead next turn. I concede, right? Yeah. It's my turn. But as... Like if somebody emrakuls and is going to steal your turn, and yeah. you're like, well, I'm going to concede just to to sort of take that power away from you so you know Craig can win or whatever. I think that's I think that's kind of lame. What if it's your turn, they have Vidalkan Orri, yeah. and you like go to your first main phase and then they flash it in and then try and take control of your turn, but it doesn't happen until you end your turn. But I mean, you would have to concede in response, right? Oh, you're no, right. No, no, because you could, you'd have the rest of your turn before they yeah. took your next one. Um, I guess, fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, concede. like it's not an ironclad thing. It's just going to stop most yeah. of that shenanigans. I think the big takeaway is don't concede to out of saltiness or out of, I don't want you to be able to do the thing that you paid money for cards for. You played in your deck. You paid the mana for. You put time into. You made the plan to do. Don't do it because it's not strategic. And honestly, I don't think 
that's the kind of behavior that would make me not want to play with you in the future. Yeah, I think if somebody did that a lot, I just would stop inviting them. Because yeah. it's just... Or, I mean, like, if you wanted to go the extreme route, you would just start targeting more of them yeah, with that stuff. That's and be like, true. right, you don't want to play Actually, Magic? Then fine. We're not. We're going to make you not play Magic. Like, that's kind of the decision you're <laughs> making, right? Is like, I'm not going to play Magic unless it's on my terms. It's like, no, you're playing a four-player game. It needs to be on everyone's terms in a way. Well said. All right. Question number five. Who are the, who are the last one? Uh, uh, you did. Yeah, I did. Okay. Question one, number five. Evens. Well, we must alternate every question. Otherwise, the world will crumble, right? It would stop spinning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't want that. Okay. Yeah. Number five. How do I best gauge when to stop improving my deck? When should I stop trying to tweak and improve it? Oh, good this question. from Jean. Jean. Could be Jean. Um, I think it's hard to answer this for another person. Mm-hmm. I'll just answer how I do it. I usually get to the point where I feel the deck is good to very good, feels, you know, like it ha- always has a chance to win. Mm-hmm. And that's usually about where I stop. Like, I, there's a lot of decks I have where I'm like, yeah, I could make it more powerful. I could tweak it, but I'd rather just work on a new deck. Yeah. You know? Oftentimes, too, a lot of the, I find the final percentage of tweaking is like add in more force of wills and more zero, more mana crypts. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's like, okay, cool. Any deck can do that, obviously. Just get more ramp and more card draw or more like very powerful zero cost spells or whatever. Um, what about your like middle tier decks, the ones that you want to bust out in a, like a table of five to six power out of 10 decks? It depends. Like there's some that I specifically want to be in that space, right? So I don't want to improve the fives and sixes sometimes. Yeah. Because then I have all eights, you know, mm-hmm. and I want to have a varying power level so I can play with anybody. But there are decks where I don't want them to be bad and they just kind of are. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones where I'm like, okay, I'm going to actively try and make this better now. You do need a couple of daggers, like yeah. poisonous legendary blades and and when you build a deck you generally want it to be good so mm-hmm. when you build it and play it the first couple times and it's not i think it's totally natural to want to improve it yeah i think my pattern is i'll build the deck with a very clear idea in mind and then try and play it a few times and if i'm unhappy with the performance i'll make a big conscious effort to try and tweak stuff if it's just playing all right and then like okay i can improve this in some ways maybe i'll do the mana rock route and just try and get it better at like the core basics of what the deck needs and then every time a new set comes out, I usually look through the set, see if there's any cards that have to go in the deck, or I think would be fun inclusion. So it's not necessarily improving it sometimes even. It's more just like tweaking it to have a little more fun. But you have to be careful too, because eventually you could dilute your deck to originally, to miss yeah, what it's Yeah, it used to have this purpose. theme, but yeah. I put in too many fun cards and now it's just good stuff. Yeah. Um, that, I think that's definitely a big problem a lot of players run into. Yeah. I, you know, like I have that Shadowborn Apostles deck and like the card Soul Salvage came up and I was like, well, I have to put this in there. You mm-hmm. know, even though the deck's fine, it's not amazing, but it's good. And so, you know, I didn't like go through and look through the entire deck and try and tweak everything. It was just like, oh, this one card, like that has this deck written all over it. So I'm going to slot it in there. But mm-hmm. that's not like an overhauling because I thought the deck was at, you know, a good place. But right. there are some decks where a couple of new cards come out that I'm like, are good in that deck. And I'm like, I'm going to take this opportunity actually to just overhaul as much as I can because the deck could use a, a strengthening up. So, I mean, it's a, I think a lot of it's meta too, right? If a lot of your decks in your meta are powerful, you probably want to make your decks more powerful on average. If they're not, then I would err on the side of more decks rather than continually working on one until it's just the most well-oiled of machines. Although it's fun yeah. to have one deck like that. I mean, you'll probably get tired two. of the deck too after a while, honestly. I mean, I, there are some decks where I'm like, I've tweaked this enough. Like like my mono red deck has evolved like six times from different commanders because I always just want to do something new. Maybe next time I'll be a Tali, who knows? <laughs> uh, but every single time it changes, I'm like, you know what? 
I'm, I'm tired of doing this because you end up taking cards out, putting it back in, it gets exhausting. But yeah, meta dependent makes a lot of sense. If you don't, if your deck's not performing up to snuff, keep improving it until it does. If you want to start winning more, keep improving until it does that. But I, I think at a certain point, you need to be like, okay, I'm, what percentage of games did you said if you won, you'd be happy with? My fair share, I think, like 25% in a four-player game. So if you're maybe winning... Slightly, maybe 30%, maybe. Yeah, so yeah. if you're winning 25 to 35% of your games with a deck, then I think it's probably at a good enough point, unless you want to be that person that... That's a really good point. So if you keep improving it, you're going to be one of these people that emails us constantly and says, my playgroup always targets me first. What do I do? Yeah, or my playgroup refuses to play with me. What do I, I actually do? I got that message recently yeah. on Instagram, which is just turn your deck down, or honestly... Ask why they don't want to play with you, and they'll probably tell you why. But once you reach that point, it's a lot harder to fix it than it would have been if you just seen it coming and been like, you right. know what? Before that gets to the point where they target me first all the time or don't want to play with me, I'm just going to stop improving this deck. I'm going to move on to another deck, and I'll have this deck that's still very good, mm-hmm. but it's not oppressive, and it doesn't elicit that kind of response. Because, you know, unless that's what you mean, unless that's what you want, if you want to be the arch enemy and stuff, that's totally fine too. It's just, you know, don't come complaining to us later, I guess. <laughs> All right. Us, anyone? <laughs> All right. Uh, my girlfriend has a five-color Super Friends deck with Chromat as the commander. I like it already. I like it already. And no matter what I do, I can't seem to beat it. We always end up in the final two fighting against each other, and every time I lose. I don't want to build a deck so powerful that it'll beat her deck every time, but I'd like to beat it about half the time. So what kind of deck should I build? And that question is from Jason. So this is a good question. Um, how do you beat Super Friends specifically? There are board wipes now that do damage to Planeswalkers. It's Star of Extinction, I think, is the one yep. that, that does damage to Planeswalkers. I think, like, Hour of Devastation does, too. Oh, right? yeah, I think it's Hour of Devastation. Yeah. Either way, uh, damage-based spells will do that. Um, I think, honestly, Planeswalker decks work in a way where if it is off to a good start and it's disrupted, it's very hard for them to catch back up to it. But once they get rolling, then it's very hard to slow it down because they have so much extra value every turn that they get for free. Right, you could even be like, "Oh, they're playing five colors. I'll play Armageddon." But that's the thing is, they may actually have an active Planeswalker out, and then if it's like Elspeth, Sun's Champion, you're just going to lose the game. That was actually my first thought when I read the email, um, Jason, which is that you said it usually ends up with the two of you fighting against each other, and that's when you lose. Well, I think the problem is if the Super Friends deck has lasted till the end like that, heads up against somebody, they're probably far along in the game and they're set up fairly well. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, Super Friends decks are not good if you're having to play Planeswalkers into a board that has stuff on it. Right. So you want to put yourself in that position. If you're trying to play stuff into a board that already has Planeswalkers, you're in big trouble. So, um, and and then, like Jimmy said, direct damage stuff, um, unblockable stuff is good. Evasion is good, just flyers. like flyers and stuff. Uh, but usually a Super Friends deck will get to the point where it's clearing the board and then putting that stuff out. So you probably want to step on them early. Um, Definitely talk to the table, too, because if it is yeah. just you two at the end every single time, then it means that her deck as well as your deck is doing very good. And so it could be a matter of like, hey, we need to get rid of this Planeswalker now, please. Can we stop fighting amongst each other for this reason? Um, so I think there's a lot more that factors into it. If I look around the table and I can't beat a deck if I'm heads up against it, then I don't want to eliminate the other players or let them be eliminated because my only chance is 2v1 then, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I'm like Jimmy's in a super good position and if we eliminate, you know, Mel, then all of a sudden it's me versus him and how do I win that? Then I actually need to get Mel on my side and kind of protect her because that's my chance ultimately to beat Jimmy and that's probably her chance too. Um, so you might use politics a little bit. Good luck. Good luck. Okay, number seven. I've been replacing some lands such as Scrylands and some Signets with these filter lands. 
They have done me wonders. With the amount of artifact hate floating around in Commander and the lack of land destruction, these things are great. They are fairly well protected being lands. They won't get hit by large wipes or cyclonic rifts, and they allow me to ramp. What is your opinion of the filter lands? No, um, this is from Josh. So yeah, Jimmy, do you want to explain what filter lands are? Yeah, they're pretty simple. So a land like Graven Cairns, uh, they actually reprinted these recently in Iconic Masters. Uh, you, it comes into play untapped. You can tap it for a colorless mana. However, you can also pay whatever the lands are two colors. So it's, you can pay one of the hybrid color mana and tap the land. So if it's Graven Cairns, you can play a back black or a red and tap the land. And then you can create black, 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 red, or red, red to your mana pool. So any variation of those two colors. So it filters the color you put into it and you can create another color. So you can technically, if you only have a black uh, color mana land, you can generate red out of a filter land. It's taking the black and filtering it into something else. If that makes sense. Yeah, and, and that's a really important distinction to make here, Josh, because it doesn't ramp you. It only filters you. And the difference is that because the filter land itself, it does create two mana, but it also requires you to tap an additional land with it. So you're tapping two lands and getting two mana. Mm -hmm. So that's not ramp. That's filtering. Filtering is when you change your colors into something you maybe didn't have access to. Ramping is when you have additional mana total extra than you should have if you played your lands for turn. So if you play a filter land on turn one, then a swamp on turn two, you still only have two mana available to you. That's filtering. That's not ramp. Ramp would be if I played a filter land on turn one, a swamp on turn two, and then I tap both and I played a thought vessel. Now I have three mana available to me when I should only have two. Mm -hmm. So I've ramped. Um, yeah. That doesn't I'll mean the filter lands are bad, but they're a little bit dangerous, I've found. They're janky. Yeah. That's what Craig has also told me when he was like, I like them a lot, but they're definitely hard to play sometimes. They get you in situations where, like, you need, especially in, like, you know, decks with more than just two colors, when all of a sudden, like, I need a black or a red on Graven Cairns to create, to use the filter land at all. So if I'm playing, like, a four-color deck and all I have is an island in Graven Cairns, well, I don't have black or red. Yeah. So now the Graven Cairns is just a colorless land. And so I, I like to run only a couple of them. I don't like... I don't like running like three, four, five. Yeah, I generally don't run them unless it's a two-color deck, in which case for a deck that like black requires a lot of black, black, usually it's they're nice. Um, the other thing is like compare this to a Signet. One, the Signet is ramp. Two, the Signet requires no color-specific mana to create two new colors. So yeah. in general, I still like a Signet a lot more um, because it ramps you. And also I find that by the time like someone plays a Vandal Blast, your Signet being gone is not the biggest downside to whatever happened. You know, like I'm often, you know, fine with it because at that point I have five lands in play. I don't need the Signet to help me ramp me a little more necessarily. Um, and, and Vandal Blast is one card in the format and it's the only one you're super worried about. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it shouldn't stop you from playing Signets, I don't think. Unless you're in green, in which case you could play the rampant growth stuff. And even the Cyclonic Rift isn't the worst when you have very cheap mana rocks. You yeah. can just sort of replay them out. Um, and everyone is sort of in that position. I think you just having more lands. Now, if you're a land deck, you have a lot of rampant growth, explosive agitations, hour of... But a lot of those don't even get filter lands. Yeah, exactly. So that doesn't help you there either. Yeah, I'm, I'm like medium on filter lands. I think one or two is okay. Like you said, two color decks is totally fine. Now, bounce lands, on the other hand, I think are better, obviously. Uh, I think a lot better because their card advantage mm -hmm. so a bounce land isn't ramp either a bounce land is a land you play and then you have to return another land to your hand it comes in tapped and then it taps for two mana um of the guild color of the two color pairings mm -hmm. all of them so if you play an azorius chancery yep um it comes in tapped you bounce an island back to your hand now next turn it untaps and you play your island and you only have two lands in play but you actually will tap for three mana you didn't ramp though because 
your land drop for that last turn returned a land to your hand, so you actually have the same amount of lands or mana available as you should for lands return, right? You should have three lands in play, but you only have two. But right. the two lands tap for three mana, so you're even on that exchange. The thing is, if you keep a hand that only has two lands in it, you normally would only have two mana. But with a bounce land, if a bounce land is one of them, you have three mana. So it kind of is card advantage in that weird way. Also, any effects that untap your lands. Yes, very you powerful. You know, Cures, Followers, Fate Sisters, those things. All of a sudden, those cards tap for two mana. So I like bounce lands a lot better than I like filter lands generally. And I like signets more than both of those. Yeah, I like signets a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, I would honestly say, like, unless if your meta has a lot of artifact destruction, but then don't be running, like, a Chroma, a Chroma's Memorials and, like, yeah. giant five, six, seven drop artifacts. Still running, like, having a Signet on turn two is still incredibly powerful in Commander. Um, and people aren't normally using their pinpoint removal on oh, your Signet. Definitely signets. not. Yeah. I don't think any, I mean, I've never honestly seen it unless you're trying to take someone off a of color and they're very dangerous with all the colors. Um, They'll get Vandal Blasted sometimes or, like, dist- you know, yeah. Nev's Discs or, you know, once in a while, Dak Faden or somebody might take something like that but that's a more rare case and like you said a lot of times you've already gotten some value by using them a few times before that happens so yeah okay all right all right alex asks is a pretty popular question actually what are your opinions on the rule that hybrid mana in edh is strictly considered to be both colors in the identity while the rules for it in all other formats state that is either or Shouldn't color identity rules be more closely aligned to the general rules? Do you think WotC should change these commander rules? Are there other commander rules you find to be too restrictive in gameplay? And that question comes from Alex. So um, hybrid mana, we were just talking about with the filter lands, are the mana symbols that are sort of split. So it it says like, um, let's say it was a hybrid Orzhov, right? It would be white or black. So mm-hmm. when you pay the cost, you can choose either I pay a white or a black. It doesn't cost both. Um, in commander because of color identity the rules committee has stated that if you have like you know like i said an orzov a white black uh, hybrid mana symbol on the card anywhere then that card can only be played in decks that have black white so a commander that has black white so like if you had i don't know a mono white commander you can't have an ability or a or a casting cost Mm -hmm. in your deck that is um hybrid black white now unless it's extort yes now <laughs> it's was, in the rules text god this is so complicated it's in the reminder text so, reminder text sorry. so we get asked this all the time extort is a special loophole in the system where extort the mechanic has a reminders text which is in parentheses right after extort and in that reminder text it has the hybrid black white mana symbol but extort is like the one case where that doesn't count towards the card's color identity just about everything else. Because that text might ne- not necessarily be on the card. Sometimes it's, they take reminder yeah. text off of cards. Yeah, exactly. They might just say, this card ha- you know, has extort. so-and-so extort and not show the what extort is. It's like first strike, right? First yeah. strike doesn't say have to say, like, this creature deals damage before the other creature yeah. deals damage, right? In the new phase or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So it's, a, it's an interesting case. But so to backtrack here again, so... The hybrid mana symbol, this is a controversial topic where a lot of people wish that you could use it as an either or so that if I had a deck that was mono blue, I could still use a card in it that had the, you know, let's say I had a deck that was mono white. Some people would like to run Soulfire or Grandmaster maybe in that deck. Right. But it has an activated ability that requires blue or sorry, let's say it wasn't minor white. Let's say it was um, a white blue. Yeah. Let's say it was Boros. Mm -hmm. Let's say I had a Boros deck. I can't run Soulfire Grandmaster right now because it, it has hybrid, is it hybrid red blue mm-hmm. in the activated ability but 
a lot of people are, are like wishing that that we could so what do you think about man that took a long time to explain sorry I like it the current way it is. Um, I don't think it needs to change necessarily. I'm not exactly sure what the other formats state the rules for it to be, if it's either black or white. Well, the other formats don't have color identity. Yeah, I th I'm pretty sure that's that's the confusion I had from Alex's question. It may be a misconception that you have, Alex, that the other formats have rules specific to that. Um, I like, think- Like in the other formats, you can, if you want to, you can run a deck and put like, first of all, you don't have a commander. Yeah. But it, you can just run a deck and put like a green card in there with no way to cast it if you feel like it. Yeah, totally. In Commander, you really can't do that. Yeah, I don't think it's a problem, honestly. I think it's totally fine. I think it is core to the card, right? If it's like an Orzhov something and it requires white or black to pay for it, then that's the whole point. It's a white-black card. You're supposed to be able to use both colors of mana for it. I think, you're, I think it's just like a silly loophole if you're being like, I want to put these cards in my deck to power it up because I wish I could play this card. Um, I think it kind of takes away from the flavor of the game, and I am fine with the hybrid mana symbol counting as both colors instead of you get to choose which one it counts for. Yeah. I also think restrictions are just basically good, and part of the fun of the format is the restriction of like, well, I have to build my deck with these colors, and it's Muldrotha, and it'd be really sweet. There's some white cards I'd really love in that deck, yeah. but I can't, and you have to work around that. Or you have to do things like I do, which is like, well, if I want to do that, I have to make a five-color commander or a four-color commander, hide Muldrotha in the deck, and figure out a way to make it work. And that's a restriction that still allows you to pull off what you want, but you have to jump through some hoops to do it. And there honestly aren't even that many hybrid mana cards, I think, that people really want in other decks. And I think going back just to satisfy those players that want to do that is not worth it overall, right? I think I like the fact that if it, the color is there, outside of Extort, that's the only messy one because it's in the reminder text. Outside of Extort, if the colors are on the card and it's not saying white or black the words, then those colors are what the card's identity are. Yeah, it's clean. All right, last question. This is from Sean. I'm assuming it's Sean Tabaris or Sean Watson. It's not. <laughs> I don't think so. I would have put that down. All right. I have a question regarding uh, spells with X in their casting costs. My problem being when, when to cast them. Sometimes I jump the gun and cast them too early, and other times I wait so long I either die or the game plan totally changes. Basically, how do you determine the best time to cast these X spells without infinite mana, and when, when does the law of diminishing returns come into effect? I like this question a lot. Um, obviously, my Neheb the Eternal deck has a lot of X casting spells in it. I think it just depends on what's happening on the board and whether or not the card that you're holding on to is like a win condition. So, for instance, in the last game nights, uh, Ben had Jaya's Immolating Inferno, I yep. believe, is the card. And he also had Azer's Gateway on the battlefield. And that allows you to, when it flips, tap for how much your life total is. And so Ben was originally waiting to cast that spell because he wanted to do it and kill everyone at the same time at the board. But he cast it earlier because there were a lot of imminent threats and things that he had to deal with. And he couldn't simply just sit there and wait. Anytime you, I think... If you don't have other options to do, that's one of the times to be like, okay, maybe I should cast this card because it sucks to pass the turn with like 10 open mana being like, ooh, if I only had 11 mana, I'd be able to do this because um, so much can change in the turn cycle. Um, also, if you're running a lot of X spells, play Vidalcan Orrery because that gives you, again, more options to cast it in the best possible scenario. Yeah, when you have the most information. Yeah. Yes, I like always like that advice. Play Vidalcan Orrery. Um, yeah, I agree. I think it depends a lot. You know, we've all been in that situation where you're like, ah, I got greedy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was hoping to do something crazy instead of just do something good. Yeah. And how often does the crazy thing happen? Um, I, I like to be a little bit conservative, probably be like, eh, 
if I wait a little while, it could be better, but this is still going to be good. And I'd rather have something good happen now. Rather, It depends on what your other plays are, too. But if you're literally like doing nothing and just waiting for the expel, oh, gosh. then I would just do it. You know, yeah. Or, so mm. that I mean, like, look, if it's like, okay, I could play this X spell for not its uh, super max potential, or play three cards in my hand and establish my board. Like, okay, you'll probably want to take the board establishing state, unless you're like, this someone's gonna board wipe or whatever. But like in general, the more efficiently you can use your mana, the better. Yeah. Um, now, commander is a longer format, so it doesn't. You can sometimes take off turns and be okay, but you don't want to be doing that more than once, like ever. And again, think about how much the game changes between turns three and turns eight. Like, look how much the game changed in the last game nights when I was in an incredibly dominating position, and at the end of the game, I lost, right? So, like... And that was probably only four turns. Yeah. So, don't hold on to stuff. Don't be too precious about stuff. And honestly, if you make a mistake, it's better to learn from that mistake than to never have made it at all. Because I can't tell you how many times it hasn't happened where I'm like, I should wait to cast a spell, and then later on being like, thank goodness I waited. That's a really good point. It almost never happens. That doesn't happen, yeah. Yeah. I, one thing I will say... Um, Expel, specifically. From working on game nights, and you know, one thing game nights has really done for my game is I have to sit there and analyze the games, right? Because I'm telling the story of the game and cutting it together and whatnot. And it's really made me realize one of the things you just said there, which is it feels as if there's a lot of turns that uh, that happen in a game. There aren't. Yeah. Most games are like 12 turns, which means when you're on turn 9, 10, and you're thinking, I'm going to wait one more turn, that's actually a really long time. One turn from turn, you know, turn 9, turn 10, turn 11 is forever. There's so many games where I'm editing the game and I'll be on like turn nine and I'll be like, holy crap, this other player wins the next turn. It's only one turn away. Yeah. It, and you and as you go through each player's turn, you're like, yep, because this happened and this happened. And they had a, you know, because it's turn 10 or 11, they have so much mana. They did this one really explosive thing. And so I wouldn't hold there waiting, hoping, being greedy about your X spell, uh, especially late in the game. If you can use it to pretty good effect right now, take what you can get now. Yeah, and honestly, if you can use it to good effect now and you think you might have a, a, a slight chance of doing it later, that's when Diminishing Returns probably is going to start for you. Because it's very, again, like you're tapping out for expels usually, and you don't have that freedom often in, in games of EDH either a lot of the times, especially as boards get developed and things get scarier and scarier. So like something like Release the Gremlins, I think is a good example of an expel that you should probably end up casting earlier rather than later, because uh, it's not going to necessarily win you the game, but it is very good in response to stuff. And it's going to slow down other people, which will give you more time for other stuff to happen probably, right? So if and you're like- some creatures. Yeah, if you're like, well, if I just wait one more turn, then I can get every artifact on the board. Yeah, you should probably just do use it now and get every artifact except one. Yeah, and hey, maybe that helps you politically. Release the Gremlins is actually an underplayed card and very good. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, that's going to end it for our Q&A episode. Thanks, everybody, who sent in questions. If you have a question for the Command Zone, please go ahead and email it to us at command cast, command zone cast, sorry, at gmail.com. At gmail the more the merrier. You know, yeah. we often don't uh, do these Q&A episodes because we don't get as many questions. And a lot of people are like, why don't you respond to the emails? It's because we're usually collating them as well. So we can give you a better response and, of course, inform more people is always the goal here. Yeah, so in email is the best way to send in questions that you want to be answered on the show because it's easy for us to sort of save them forever. Yeah. It's hard to go back through comments from old shows and pull questions that way. So, yes, please send us your questions. Okay, to the listeners... What do you think about the conceding as a strategy thing? I really want to hear the community's uh, opinion on that one. Do you think it's scummy like we do, or do you think it's a, just gamesmanship and a fair strategy? Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm curious to hear. I usually come down on the side as most things are gamesmanship, but that one to me is outside the lines. Yeah, definitely. It's okay. never felt good when someone's done it. No. 
It doesn't feel fair. Or fun. You know what is fun? <laughs> Our sponsor. Ah, not our sister podcast. We'll talk no, about that later. We'll talk about them later. Cardkingdom.com slash command zone. Use that affiliate link when you order your magic cards, singles, products, everything. You're really supporting the podcast and game nights and all of our content when you do that. We do super appreciate it when people send us messages on Twitters and Twitter and things. A lot. Did you know that if you ask Card Kingdom for like a hand-drawn token? Oh, yeah. They are amazing at the hand-drawn token. So ask for one of Jimmy and I. They'd actually do a pretty good. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I don't know who they have drawing them. It seems like they have a couple different artists each time and you'll get something different. But like that's how they go above and beyond. Yeah. Seriously, it's awesome to see. And we always get them tweeted at, uh, at us as well. So always nice to see that. Um, something else that's nice to see. <laughs> I'm just on fire with the segues. Is uh, Ultra Pro Playmats. Yeah. In fact... Ultra Pro is the one that's going to be printing our last stand playmats, which you can pick up on Kickstarter right now. Ultra Pro just, the reason we went with them is not because they're our sponsor. It's because they actually just make the best product. So, yeah. I mean, honestly, I have a few playmats from, you know, before that are not Ultra Pro. And if you have an Ultra Pro playmat and you feel it and you feel the not Ultra Pro playmat, there's a huge difference. They just make high quality stuff. Not just that, the print quality is great, the colors the are colors, accurate. Yeah. Um, and the company itself is definitely dedicated to making sure that they're making the highest quality product. They're they're constantly improving um, and that's good to see, right? That's what you want to see from a company. It's why we like to you know do things the way we do it here at the Command Zone is constantly get better and Ultra Pro has been doing that as well. The Eclipse sleeve, I think are widely just sort of considered some of the best sleeves on the market now. And they just came out with a hundred count of those. Uh, and if you guys want to buy our new playmat, the last stand playmat, make sure you go over on the Kickstarter right now. The links are in the show notes below. We've tweeted that. We put it on Facebook. It is the only chance you're ever going to get to get this playmat drawn by Titus Lyncher. It's beautiful. It's a one-time only playmat for game nights. And guess what? After the Kickstarter is over, we're never selling it again. All right. Now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. So, uh, Jimmy... I have a question for you. Okay. Did you watch The Sopranos? I did. When it was on? Uh-huh. What did you think of the ending of The Sopranos? Um, spoiler alert. Everybody knows about this. It is a little bit of a spoiler. It's not really spoiling any of the plot of the show, though. So if you haven't seen the show, this one shouldn't actually ruin the show in any way. Right. We're just talking about... The ending. Actually, the ending is almost okay to talk about in a weird way. Because it doesn't it ruin any plot. Ruin anything? Yeah. So Frank, right? Is that his main name? The main guy? Frank? It's been Tony, a while. Tony. Tony. Sorry. Tony, not Frank. I was like, who's Frank? Who's Frank? <laughs> uh, the end of The Sopranos, again, turn it off if you don't want to hear about The Sopranos or a sister podcast. We don't have to go into specifics. It's ambiguous. It's very vague. He's kind of chilling at a restaurant. A, the great song is playing, the one that we sang. Don't at the, stop believing. And he's just chilling. And and there's some things happening. There's some slight nods here or there. Sort of, yeah. Sort of. And it's just like a long shot. And then, boom, it's done. It's over. The show is done. There's no, like... It literally, tiny... like, it's a tight on his face, I think. And you hear, don't stop. And yeah. it cuts to black. And to the point where a lot of people had the reaction that they actually thought their TV or their power or something cut off <laughs> at that point because it's abrupt. Yeah. And it's vague. It doesn't... And that's the end of the show. Uh, there's never been another episode or anything else. Uh, yeah. And I don't even think the creators of the show have really talked about what it means or meant and there's been endless fan theorizing about it um now this question actually came up because of a tweet right 
Yeah, so I tweeted out. There was some tweet about you know basically state something controversial an that opinion you think you have. of, but that yeah, other yeah. Disagree and with. so I tweeted out that I was fine with the ending of The Sopranos. I was actually inspired to do it because there's so many people complaining about the ending of Infinity War right now. Oh, really? Which I think is how many similar. complain about that? I mean, it's clearly just like, are you ready for Infinity War Part Two? Well, here's the ending to Infinity War Part One. That's people, not spoiling anything. There's another one coming out. We all know that. People are <laughs> mad because that ending is feels like it's not complete. It's not. It doesn't resolve. Yeah, and it's so crazy when you see the character and then the, and then Journey comes on. Like, yeah. this isn't Guardians oh, of the Galaxy. Stop. And it cuts to black. And I was like, what? They're, they just do with the Supreme? No, <laughs> that's not what happens. But I uh, anyway... So, what did you think of the of the ending of it? I of thought Sopranos? it was fine, honestly. I like, I love the show. I liked everything about it, and I don't think they needed to. I think, like, one, sure, there may have been better or other ways to end it. Maybe not even better necessarily, but I didn't really care. I was like, cool, it's over. That's great. I'm gonna look up some fan theories online and be like, oh, cool, neat. Okay, I'm gonna not think about this anymore <laughs> and go on with my merry life. Yeah, see, I, I thought it was fine because the show, to me, was never about plot. And that ending yeah. kind of left people who thought, like, oh, I want to know what happens. But to me, it was always about the characters. The and so, to, yeah, to me, it was like, well, whatever happened is not as important to me as, like, I got to see the journey of the characters and it's over now. Yeah. Um, the number one thing you're always going to see the complaints of about shows that have ended is the ending. Yeah. It's so hard to satisfy everyone. I, I mean, I think I thought Nearly Breaking impossible. Bad had an incredible yeah. ending, but people still complained about that. Did they? Yeah. Breaking Bad had one of the better endings because it did manage to resolve most things. Yes. Yeah. Which is very hard to do on a TV show and not even the goal of a TV show. If you think about it from week to week, the show is usually not serialized. It's yeah. usually episodic, you know, so it's not actually building to one specific thing until like the last season where they're like, oh crap, we got to do that. Yeah. And then they have to try to change the show into something that usually it's not. Um, I've, yeah. And I've seen some bad endings, all right? Yeah. Lost? Oh my gosh. Mm. Worst ending Worst like last half. Worst like last. Every season except for the first just started a big downward. I thought plunge. two was okay. Season two was okay. Season two was fine. Once and then they hit just, the flash forward, when was that? Uh, four, I think. Once you know, no, it was like five or six. Actually, no, I think it was like three. I you know what it was. Once it hit the writer's strike is when that show yeah, just Yeah, that's true. That got killed by real world um, problems. Shows with great endings. Friday Night Lights had an incredibly good ending. Uh, I, I never thought. even watched Friday Night. Lights. Oh my gosh, you like Michael B. Jordan? Yeah. He's in season five of that show. Amazing. Okay. Seasons one, three, four, and five are all incredible. It's a Peter Berg show. Yeah. Season two, guess what happened then? The writer's strike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Like West Wing, it really went downhill because Aaron Sorkin got caught with uh, shrooms in his backpack oh, yeah. and he got fired off his own show and then the show went downhill. So the, the ending of that one's not great. Did they ever think Battlestar Galactica? Made the show go oh, God. That show had a bad ending, too. <laughs> We're just we're not spoiling what happened, but okay. But it's widely known, I think, for Ballastar that the ending was just like just like lost. Blech. Yeah, like what's happening? Why? What are you guys? Why is this? What is this pseudo anything? Crap so that's of happening? those, do you think Sopranos even on the list as far as bad endings? No, not even close. And you're right. You made a really good point. It's about the characters. It's about the drama. It's not about knowing what happens to Tony in that moment. And that's when I read all. It was exhausting reading all the theories, yeah. being like, "This is what happens because you see this and this." It's like, oh, I don't care. To me, I like ambiguity. I don't have a real big need for everything to be completely resolved. But yeah. I understand, like, a lot of people, like, my girlfriend would be throwing stuff at the screen at the end of The Sopranos if well, she watched been, it. You invest a lot of time into these shows. Yeah. And she's like, I need closure. That's her favorite thing. So anything that doesn't, like, wrap up, she's just mad about it. So I get it. Okay. All right. Understandable. Okay. You know what I do get, though? <laughs> what do you get? how great our sister podcast is <laughs> and how consistently they've been great for a long time and just great preview cards. 
This is true. The Masters of Modern podcast with Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman. You can find them uh, on Twitter at the MMCast and right next to us on collected.company. You should really check them out. They talk about the modern format and all things competitive magic. And Alex, uh, it's yeah, he, he runs a toy company called Kesco, and they've yeah. actually been working on a new game that's coming out soon. We're going to have more on that. Um, Battlebots, I think yeah. is the name right now. We're going to have more on that soon. We'll probably have Alex on to talk about it because he's kind of turning into a game designer in some respect, too, it's which is really, really cool. cool. Yeah. yeah, Kesco. They're made, I mean, like they've made in the Ice Hoop as well as the Drop Dot, which is like toys that you find in Target. And the Drop Dot apparently isn't selling across, out across the nation. It is pretty cool. We got a box of them like over yeah. there somewhere. Yeah. So if you guys want one, don't come to us. They're ours. Um, but yeah, check them out. They're on, <laughs> go to Target. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to see the the Masters of the Modern podcast, they're right next to us on Collected.Company as well as at the MMCast on Twitter. Do you already say that? Yep. Oh. It's okay. We can say it twice. They're our sister podcast. Yeah, they're our sister podcast. Our editor for the show is Craig Blanchett. Uh, our prior editor of the show, Terry Robertson, is now moving on to Game Nights. And big special thanks, as always, to Jeffrey Palmer at Living Cards MTG on Twitter. He does the opening and closing animations for the show. You can watch in video form at youtube.com slash the Command Zone Podcast. How many of you out there, to the listeners, part two, actually always listen to the end of the episode? Because sometimes we get, we do some silly stuff. Other times we're like, we're done. We got to get out of here. True. Actually, for those of you still here, speaking of Terry, um, just wanted to give a follow-up to, because Oh, that's Everyone right. saw the news footage where his apartment was on fire <laughs> God. a few weeks ago. And oh, a lot of people gosh. reached out and asked if he needed help or if there was a GoFundMe or something like that. And we're happy to say that Terry was fine. And actually, crazily enough, they stopped the fire, literally the apartment right next to his. Wow. So the apartment next to his totally burned down. His apartment intact. Now, there was smoke damage and some other things, but he didn't like lose everything he owns, which is nice. Um, luckily, you know... Terry is fine, and we didn't need to do like a GoFundMe or something like that. He was like, no, tell everybody thank you, um, but I'm fine. So we do appreciate all those people that did offer to help, though. That was really heartwarming. So thanks, thanks everybody that did that. Thank you, Terry, as well. All right. All right. Um, guess, uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll see you next time. <laughs> <We're> not, <laughs> sorry, I threw a wrench in our normal cadence of how we end the show. Don't forget to buy the last damn playmat. You want that thing? Yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. I want it now. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go get one. What? They're not out yet. We still have to print them. Okay, bye. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. (laughs) (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, 
You can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.